Well, hey everybody, welcome to my front porch because today is Good Friday. And listen, it's called good because of all the good that Christ did for us on that Friday long, long ago. So today we're gonna look back at the suffering that Christ endured for us, but we're not gonna focus so much on his physical suffering but rather we're gonna look at his emotional suffering, his mental suffering. Because as we do, Jesus gives us a strategy for fighting off fearfulness, for fighting off the depression that can overcome us on days like these. So I wanna begin by reading from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26. I want you to listen as I read. The Bible says, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him and he began to be, and here's our key words, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Now stop right there because I wanna set things up by stating kind of the obvious, and that is this. A disease of pandemic proportions has taken over the mind and the emotions of the entire world. I don't even have to tell you, the disease is called coronavirus, and it is dominating almost every conversation. Now, mind you, this is not the first virus of this generation. We've had other viruses that have come and gone. But listen, listen, we have to take this virus seriously and here's why. It's because this virus has an R naught factor that is very high. Now R naught, it's, it's an R with an O, a zero, R naught, is simply the scientific method for measuring how infectious a disease is. In other words, it measures the power of the disease to spread from one person to another person, or worse yet, from one person to multiple persons. So the lower the ratio of that factor is, the disease will just fade out if it's low enough. But if it's too high, the disease will spread. Well, I don't even have to tell you that the coronavirus has a high ratio. In fact, for every one person who gets the disease, they will spread it to approximately two other people and those two will spread it to two others, and to four, and to eight, and to 16, to 32, to 64, and so on. And so we know this virus is highly infectious. We can see how fast it is spreading, but folks, what I love is this. The world is fighting to stop it. The world is in a fight. We're not just giving up. The world is in a fight to stop this disease. Now, let me change gears because I want to warn us of another infectious disease. Because as infectious as the coronavirus is, there's another disease out there that's spreading even faster. And I'm talking about the disease of becoming fearful. And by fearful, I mean to become so filled with fear, so full of fear, that it debilitates you from being able to get your way through this crisis. Now, I want you to stay with me because this fearful virus is spread by mouth, specifically by word of mouth. And folks, the combined force of the news media and the social media, they're spreading this fear virus like epidemic proportions. 
And what it is doing, it is debilitating, and maybe I'm talking to you, it debilitates people and depresses them with fear to the point that we can't work our way through this crisis. So with all of that in mind, here's my proposition today. Fearfulness has to be taken seriously. In other words, you've got to shield yourself against fear like a surgeon walking into a room filled with a virus. Because if you don't shield yourself, fear will infect your mind, it will depress your willpower, and it will debilitate your ability to make your way through this crisis. Now you might be saying, well, Rick, how do I, how do I fight off fearfulness? How do I do that? Maybe you're already fearful. <laughs> So you're asking, how do, I, how do I fight it off? We're gonna find out as we wind the clock backwards 2,000 years to a, to a garden just outside the city of Jerusalem where Jesus was with his disciples. And in that garden, Jesus gives us a strategy for fighting against the disease of fearfulness. Now. I wanna give you three thoughts about fear today. So if you're kind of typing them in on your computer as we move along, here they are. Number one, here's what I want you to get. Fear is an asset. <laughs> oh yeah, just plain fear is an asset to you. Now folks, with that in mind, let's pick up the narrative beginning in verse 36. You follow with your eyes as I read it. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. I want you to stop right there and slip into the moment. Because at this point in Matthew's gospel, Jesus and his little band of disciples have left the upper room. They walk through the dark streets of Jerusalem. They go down the back slopes of the city, cross over the little brook Kidron, and somewhere probably around one o'clock in the morning, they go inside the Garden of Gethsemane. By the way, folks, by daylight, by six o'clock the next morning, Jesus will have been arrested. He will have gone through various trials, put on trial. He will have been beaten. He will have been flogged. And by nine o'clock in the morning, he will be hanging on a cross in crucifixion. Now, I want everybody to lean in because crucifixion is the most excruciating way to be executed imaginable. In fact, the very term excruciating comes from crucifixion. Excruciate literally means to cry out from crucifixion. So I want you to watch what Jesus does as he looks at, the, at this cross that lies ahead of him. Watch what he does during the night, before the morning, before he gets to the cross in the garden. Listen to what happens. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it be possible, may this cup be taken from me. Now stop there. Have you ever seen that painting of Jesus in the garden? The painting has Jesus with his hands gently folded, face completely calm, full moon overhead. Let me tell you what, folks, that's not the picture Matthew paints. Matthew uses dark colors to paint this scene. We see a savior face in the dirt, tears streaming down his face, pounding the ground, pleading with God, please God, take this cup away from me if it's possible. Now you might be saying, wait, what? You mean Jesus was afraid? Yes, 
He was tempted in every way that you and I are. He felt every emotion that you've ever felt. Beyond that, folks, you have to realize that fear is a part of the human factor. It's a part of the human emotion. God gave us the, the emotion of fear for self-preservation. Fear is what makes you cautious. Someone has said all the fear less people are dead. <laughs> Probably true. We need fear. Fear is what makes you respect the coronavirus. Fear is what makes you practice social distancing. Right, camera man? Right, Garrett? He's shaking his head. Yeah, we're practicing social distancing. You see, fear is a good thing. Fear is an asset. God gave it to us. But folks, that being said, write this down as big number two. Becoming fearful is like a disease. Now, thinking caps on, because fear is simply controlled caution. Let me say that again. Fear is controlled caution. You hear the news, and fear causes you to respect this virus to protect your life. Let me say that again. Fear gives you respect of the virus to protect your life. That's what fear is. It's simply controlled caution. But listen, fearfulness is not controlled caution. It is an uncontrolled sense of dread. Dread. And so you don't just watch the news and take away and walk away from it. No, you obsess over the news. You start watching the news every hour, trying to catch every little bit of the news. You want to know, you know, what is the infection tally? What is the death toll? What is the stock market doing? What's happening to the business world? And as you take all of that into your mind, it just spreads like a virus throughout your body. And it depresses your, your willpower and it debilitates you from being able to work your way through this virus. Tell you what, back to the garden, because that's exactly what was happening to Jesus. Fearfulness was taking over just like it can take over with you and I. But folks, it got even worse with Jesus because intense fear and fearfulness will always, always spread to depression. Depression. And that's what happens. Listen, verse 36 then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Now, folks, those two words, sorrowful and troubled, are explicit. The word sorrowful is a translation of the Greek word lupeo, which means a depression of the mind. A depression of the mind. Troubled, he was troubled, is from the Greek word adamaneo. And adamaneo literally means a paralyzing heaviness. In other words, have you ever been so depressed that it paralyzed you? Have you ever been so depressed that you couldn't get off the couch? You couldn't get out of the bed? That's what was happening with Jesus. It was this heaviness. You say, wait, Rick, are you saying Jesus became depressed? Yes! Again, he was tempted in every way that you and I have been. He's felt every emotion we have felt, which is why he's such a compassionate savior. You say, Rick, how depressed did he get? Well, listen to verse 38. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. Listen to this, to the point of death. 
Jesus was saying to his disciples, I am so filled with despair. I am so overcome with sorrow and depression that it's about to kill me before I even make it to the cross. That's how severe it was. That's how sad he was. In fact, his despair was so, so intense that Luke 22 says this, and being in anguish, anguish, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Now folks, Jesus experienced a rare physiological phenomenon known as hematidrosis. That's where the anxiety levels reach such intensity that the capillaries in the forehead rupture and blood begins to appear on the surface of the face, the forehead, as bloody. You see, you've got to realize Jesus wasn't just bearing the cross. He was bearing our sins. He wasn't just facing crucifixion. He was facing, listen, the wrath of God Almighty against your sins and against my sins. In fact, listen to Isaiah 53. The Bible says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. And the Lord, Yahweh, has laid on him on the cross the iniquity of us all. That's what he was going to. Now back to the garden, because as Jesus looked at the prospect of facing the wrath of God, of facing our sins, of crucifixion, the despair became so heavy that it nearly killed him in the garden before he got to the cross to fulfill his mission. And let me tell you folks, it can do the same thing. Fearfulness and depression is a killer. It can destroy your life. It can destroy your ability to get through a crisis. So here's what I love. Write this down as number three. The Bible gives us a four-part strategy to fight fearfulness, to fight depression. And Jesus gives it to us right here in the garden. Here's how he got from being on his face in fear and despair and made it to the cross. Here's what we do. Here's what he did. Write it down as A, B, C, and D. I'm going to hit these fast. A, talk to God. Talk to God. Listen to verse 39. Going a little further, he fell on his face to the ground and prayed, my father. Don't you love that? That's exactly what he told you and I to do when we pray. He said, when you pray, talk to God like you're talking to your father, but not just any father. This is the father who made you. This is the father who created you. This is the father who designed you. The one who knows everything there is to know about you. He knows the good and the bad. He knows the bright side of you and he knows the dark side of you. He knows things about you that you wouldn't want anyone else to know because they would reject you if they knew those things. He knows them and loves you anyway. And he says, you can boldly come to the throne of grace that you may find mercy and help in your time of need. Talk to your father. He's there to help you. He's there. You can cry out, God, help me through this crisis, whatever your crisis may be. Write this down as B. Not only talk to God, talk to others. (laughs) 
Listen to verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. Verse 37. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, with him. Why? Because Jesus knew that loneliness is exposing. Jesus knew that, that, that isolation is a prescription for depression and despair. And so he took with him Peter, James, and John, and he talked to them. He kept going over to them and talking to them and telling them to pray for him and telling them that he, he was suffering to, to keep praying for him. Folks, listen, this quarantine that we're in is like a greenhouse for fearfulness and for depression. That's what I, why I want to encourage you. Thank God for social media, right? Thank God for our online ministry. Join an online small group. That's what we have them here. We don't want you isolated. We don't want you alone in this. Whether, it's, whether you're fearful of the coronavirus, depressed about that, or depressed about cancer, depressed about your marriage, depressed about your children, you need others. So get in a small group online. Thirdly, here's, here's the one. Write this down to see. Talk to yourself. Oh yeah, listen to what David did in Second or First Samuel thirty. The Bible says, and David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and his daughter. They were going to stone David, but watch this. But David encouraged himself in the Lord. You see, there are going to be times when you don't have the voice of other people to encourage you. For whatever reason, that's not going to be there. That's when you've got to encourage yourself. You've got to talk to yourself. You've got to talk yourself through it. You've got to rally yourself. And you don't just talk to yourself with a bunch of psychobabble. The Bible says David encouraged himself in the Word, in the Lord. Listen, you've got to you got to encourage yourself with God's word. Remind yourself that your God is bigger than any crisis that we may be facing. Remind yourself out loud. Read Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Listen, the media is not your shepherd. <laughs> we not only need to practice some social distancing, we need to practice some media distancing. Listen. Catch a little bit of the news, know what's going on, and turn it off. They're not your shepherd. Get into the word of God. Read it out loud. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. You know, for some of you, God may be bringing this, you into this time <clears throat> just to get you to slow down, to get you to rest. Listen, we're going to be back to work and back to, to the grind fast enough. God wants you to leverage this time to rest your body and your soul. It says, he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Read this out loud. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You know what the shepherd did with the rod? He beat up the lions and the and the bears or the cougars, anything that would attack his sheep. And when the sheep would see that rod, there's a certain amount of comfort. God can beat his way and beat our way through this and attack what enemies that may attack us. I love this. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I love that. 
It's the picture of Jesus out front leading us, a shepherd, and it's like two sheepdog behind us. One is called goodness and one is called mercy. And as the shepherd leads us, these two sheepdogs called goodness and mercy are barking at us and pressing us along the way. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You got to talk to yourself, folks. You got to sing to yourself sometimes. I sang to myself this morning this song. The neighbors are probably going to hear this, so here we go. But I was singing out the back window. This is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made, that the Lord has made. I will rejoice, I will rejoice and be glad in it, and be glad in it. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made. How about this one? He's got the whole world. Yeah. In his hands, he's got the whole world. Listen, you've got to talk to yourself and sing to yourself through this. One more thing, write this down as D. Enough of my singing, sorry. Keep your eyes forward. Don't let your eyes go down, keep them up. Listen to what Hebrews 12 says. Fixing our eyes on the coronavirus. Is that what it says? Fixing our eyes on the news. Mm -mm. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, but has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now listen to this. Consider him. Think about him. Who endured such opposition from sinners. Talk about opposition. Think about his opposition. So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So how do we keep from losing heart? Talk to God. Talk to others. Talk to yourself. Keep your eyes up. Don't focus on the news so much. Focus on the power of our Savior. Keep your eyes on the destination, which is eternal life. By the way, one of the ways that we can consider Jesus is by taking communion together. And that's exactly what I want to encourage us to do. If you've got some bread in your house, if you've got some juice, I want you maybe to hit pause on the button, <laughs> give your chance, yourself a chance to get it. And uh, we're going to kind of wind the clock back a little bit further from the Garden of Gethsemane. We're going back to the upper room where Jesus took communion with his disciples. You go grab that bread, grab that juice real quick. We'll wait on you. Hit the pause. Here's what the Bible says in Luke 22. And he said to them, to the disciples, with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. You realize we're going to take communion with Jesus in the earthly kingdom when he returns? What a day that's going to be. But for now, we take it together right now in remembrance of him. So here's what the Bible says. It says, and he took bread and gave thanks and break it and gave to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. 
This do in remembrance of me. Jesus was saying, every time you take this bread, you remember my body, which was given for you. Verse 20 says, likewise, also the cup after supper saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. Every time we take the juice, we remember that it took blood to cleanse us from our sins and Jesus gave it for us. Do this in remembrance of his blood. Christ Fellowship, I hope you've been encouraged. Don't forget, talk to God. Talk to others. Get online. Join a small group. You got to encourage yourself. Talk to yourself. Keep your chin up, eyes on Jesus. I love you all. God bless.